Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. He took it and gave his life so that we could walk in and become born again by believing in his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, believing what the blood of Jesus did so that we can go to heaven. But at the same time, that's not all we get when that happens. We're taught here. We know uh, that, the, uh, that when you get born again, it's not just the fact that you get a ticket to heaven, which is taught all over the world. We know that that means so much more. It's salvation. But it's also healing and prosperity and soundness of mind and wholeness um, and safety. Uh, and so when, you know, it's funny to me that if you break it down like that, I, you know as well as I do, they would probably realize that the way that they think that's the way they're getting to heaven, none of those things can provide that for them in all reality. That if they do any of those things that's on that list, that that's really not going to give them soundness of mind. Now, there, it's, there are benefits, and y'all know this, when you're reading the list. There, there is a reason why you tithe and give offerings. The Word tells you to, and you need to obey the Word. Uh, and there are benefits from giving that God tells you that you'll be blessed. But at the same time, I mean, I know people, I, I know some people, and y'all probably do too. I, there's people that I know that are not born again. They're some of the best people in the world, good people do things for people. Uh, there's people that live by the principles of God and don't even know they're living by the principles of God and they put them into practice because they're led by their heart and their conscience and they know that this is the right thing to do. And it's amazing. God's honored that because they have done what by their heart what was supposed to be done, which tells us a whole nother thing. doesn't necessarily get them to heaven, but God's able to do something for them because they are really obeying the principles of the Bible and don't even realize it. But you know, the thing is, we're going to look at a few scriptures uh, because we know that, uh, that people can trust in other things outside of Jesus. But what is the end result of that? If we put our trust in anything else, in any works, before you get born again, we're going to read a few scriptures that tells you what the end is. Go to John chapter 3 and verse 36. This is in the King James Version. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. We all know this. It says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Go to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 12. Is this the right verse? 4.12. I was looking at 3.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which man must be saved. So we have scripture after scripture that tells us that is the only way to get to the Father. If you go outside any of that, your end result is hell. You know, I've heard people say about God before, 
Uh, well, if he's such a good God, why does he send people to hell? God don't send anybody to hell. People have a choice. People have a, a personal choice. You know, it's funny, the world today, we're in such a, um, a society of it's my choice about what to do with my body. It's my choice whether or not I want to be homosexual. Or sometimes they'll tell you it was never a choice. Um, or they'll tell you it's my choice whether I do this. It's my choice whether I do that. It's my choice whether I obey the laws of the land. It's, there's choices everywhere. But when it comes to being born again and God doing something for them, miraculously society puts it back on God. And they say it's back on him of why it's his choice. It's his choice whether or not I go to heaven or not. You know, because then they get into the predestination. You know, and it's just a never-ending cycle. That's a little bit hot. Can we pull that down just a little bit, please? That's a little bit hot. Um, it's a never-ending cycle for people to analyze it to the point or analyze God. And they pick and choose what they think he's responsible for. And when they don't ever answer the call, you know how people do. They come in here, they get in the seat, and when they get uh, hearing the message, and God convicts them, the Holy Ghost convicts them, what do they do? They clamp like this, and they get white-knuckled. Well, God can't make them let go of that seat and make them come down here and receive Jesus, right? And, but at the same time, people almost have that mentality that if he... If, it's, if it was supposed to be this way, or life with God's supposed to be this way, or if I'm supposed to be born again, God would just do it. No, it doesn't happen that way. But the choice that they do have to make, they can make choices that keep them out of being born again. What they do in saying yes to him or no to him is the, is the difference between hell or heaven. And, but at the same time, it's a simple choice of believing and receiving, it's not a choice of do I do this good work or not. But there are people that will go and give you a long list of all the things that they do that's good. And when we look at this, what we're going to find out, because we're going to go to Hebrews uh, 6.1, that seems to be the context of his teaching in this chapter. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Sorry, it's taking me a second to get there. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Verse 2 says, Of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and so forth. That chapter, it says in 6.1, what uh, Rick Renner says, he says, when it talks about faith toward God, what, this is what he said it's saying. Resting one's faith completely on God and total trust in God and not trusting in anyone or anything else. That's really what you're doing. That really, in all reality, if you come to the point that you're not looking at it to be uh, your works that do it, that removes you out of the equation too. That there is nothing that we can do for ourselves to gain access to heaven, to be able to be, live eternally there. There's nothing we can do. 
God didn't make it a way that it was Jesus plus whatever good works we did. It don't work that way. Uh, there are people that think so, but it does not work that way. Basically, we're being told that once you receive Jesus, then he's going to tell us that we've got to move on to perfection or maturity and move on to even a higher doctrine and, and more depth of the doctrine so that we can walk a lot that he tells us to walk. To walk. Um, let's see. Let's go down to... I think, you know, one of the things that he talks about in here is that it's always commendable to tell people, I'm glad that they're, you know, good people. You know, you meet good-hearted people, and I've, I've heard people, they are just some of the best people ever you'll meet in the world. You know, and you hear this too, and this is further on the chapter he talks about. In one portion, he talks about uh, Princess Diana, and I remember the day she passed. But do you ever think about it? We were talking about somebody the other day, I don't even remember who it was. Uh, we saw some report of somebody passing away, and my first question was, were they born again? You know, and he talks about in this book that he asked that of Princess Diana when she did, and it offended somebody. Because he asked if they were born again, because she did good works everywhere. She was, a, she was a person that gave to charity and would go and help people all over the world. But was she born again? We can't answer that. But at the same time, that's really the question that we should be asking. And the reason it offends people is because they have a, a works mentality. And they believe that if they do certain things, that it is going to change the outcome of their eternal life. I mean, you know people, I've, I've heard stories like this. There are people that have gotten born again at the midnight hour and gone on home to be with heaven. But praise God, they made it. But they didn't get it from what all they did in their life previous. They got it because they received Jesus as their Christ and Savior. It, that's the only way you can get there. If you're going to punch a ticket, that's the only ticket you have to punch to be able to get there. But, but we're going to talk about works on the other side of once you get born again. There is that side of it. That is necessary. That's what we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ for, is what did you do with what I told you to do, which is works-based, Right? So let's go, let's see. You know, I, I, one of the things I wanted to put in on uh, what Pastor taught last week, um, he was talking about, you know, he mentioned the building in Russia that they built where the builder built it quick. And uh, he was just talking about how, uh, how it was uh, not built well and it was not safe. You know, they never inhabited that building. They never could use that structure for, for what they meant it for. But one of the things that stood out to me that Rick Renner talked about, and I thought this was interesting, he said for decades, because, you know, they, he and his wife, Miss Denise, uh, they live in Russia, and they've been missionaries there for 30-something years. Their children are there. And um, he talks about that building that's there, and this is what he said. He said for decades now that building has been standing empty, empty in a prime location. What a waste of time and money and space. It is used as a massive, ugly billboard with gigantic advertisements painted on its tower, and it stands as a glaring reminder of what happens when a building is erected on a faulty foundation. 
thought, can you imagine all that time and money put into that? And everybody that comes to that part of Russia, they see that ugly building and those signs posted because they went outside of the foundational requirements to be able to build the building correctly. Christians do it all the time. They think that they're going to be uh, able, that God is impressed with certain things like that before they ever become born again. And he's just trying to get them to get born again and to give their heart over to God so that he can use them of what they're gifted and graced at to be able to get something to the body. I don't want to be one that's got signs hanging off of me. Just saying. Or uninhabited either. That's really good. Or uninhabited either. That's really good. Um, okay, so let's, let's go back. We're going to go... We're going to stay in Hebrews 6.1. He was talking about going just maybe a little bit further. He said, in Hebrews 6.1 means when it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ. He said, we saw that this word principles in the word is arches. It means the starting point. He said, every believer comes to a place in his spiritual walk where he leaves the starting point. The ABCs of the doctrines of Christ and to go on to perfection he said the word perfection there is the word teleotis, T-E-L-E-I-O-T-A-S, which describes a student who graduates from one class to the next, which in reality, spiritually, is what we should be doing. We should be growing spiritually so that we're going from one level to the next level to the next level. I don't think you ever graduate spiritually. I know there's things, as much as Brother Hagen knew, he would probably be the first to tell you that there was things that he still didn't know and he got revelation. I have seen scriptures turned over and over and over by people that have ministered all sides and you come up on the backside and somebody comes up on the side and gives you revelation that you didn't even realize was there. So there is a, there is a thing of maturing and to becoming into perfection. He said this, that this is an ongoing process of education, promotion, and more education. The writer of Hebrews was saying, let's go on and let's not get stuck on this level. However, a believer cannot go to the next level of spiritual knowledge and maturity until he grasps the first level. You know, we can't, you can't take a natural baby and feed it baby food one day and a steak the next. They would choke. They'd never be able to chew it. I think that's the reason that the word talks about the milk of the word. You have Christians that were still on the milk of the word and it's necessary, but at some point you've got to mature up and be able to eat the steak part. You've got to be able to take the meat of the word and it's just part of growing up. He said this, and I'm reading, I know I'm reading some things out of his book, but just some of it's so good. I just think we just need to make sure we get through some of that. He said in these, you know, in all these chapters, he says we're discussing what these foundational doctrines look like. Understanding and walking in the truth of each of these six doctrines that we're teaching. So last week, Pastor, you taught on. Do what? Yes, repentance from dead works. And we're talking about faith toward God this week. And then there's four more after this. He says it's for passing the first test. That involves the laying of a firm foundation in our faith. He said, go so the first, when the chapter before this, he said they discussed the first doctrine listed in Hebrews 6, one that's rep uh, repentance from dead works. He said, so let's talk about what does faith toward God in this chapter actually mean. He said, this, he said particular, sound, doc, particular doctrine may sound like something you've already mastered. 
Isn't that funny? You know, it says knowledge puffs up. You know, you can get a little bit of knowledge. I can remember when I started listening to Brother Norville Hayes and I started learning things of the word and of faith. I got a really good boldness and zeal and I really didn't have enough knowledge to go with it for nothing. I was so excited because it, it produced life in me. But, you know, I would find myself and I'd find I was, out, I was out operating outside of my revelation and knowledge sometimes. Yeah, I had to be corrected about that too. But anyway, let's see, this is coming off. It says, you may think that you've already heard some things, everything about faith that you need to hear. He says, but what does the phrase faith toward God really refer to? He said, it's a foundational truth that is actually very strategic to your faith. And it's not quite as simple as it seems. He says, you have to remember, and I, you know, you know some of the, uh, um, you know, when you hear people teach, Pastor Mark did it when he was here this past week, and he would teach and he would get preface it and give you the setup for what the scenery was. We need to understand that in that time and be able to understand what people he's talking to because it makes all the difference in the world. He says here that in that, in the book of Hebrews, he said these were believers that were saved out of Judaism. He said in being raised in Judaism, they had learned to trust in all kinds of natural things for their salvation. He said they trusted in the law. They trusted in circumcision. Temple sacrifices, temple taxes, traditions, and their Jewish culture. They trusted in all kinds of religious works to obtain salvation. And this was the belief system that the Hebrew believers had trusted in for so long as they could remember before they came to Christ. But you know what? All of those things don't save us. You know, I'll say it again. It can't be like for them, just like it can't be for us. It can't be a list of all those things in the first chapter plus Jesus to give us to make us born again. We make it so complicated, don't we? I think the church as a whole just makes it complicated that it has to be that you've got to do something. It's almost like, you know, rubbing genie in the bottle. You know, that's how they do prayer. Even, and I know that's not necessarily with salvation, but people do it all the time. They think if they say it so many times, if I rub it a certain way, if I hold it up a certain way, if I shake it a certain way, you know, if I shout a certain way, and even though all some things, shouting and dancing's all good, but at the same time, we get in these religious habits. And then we're expecting God to perform it. Yeah, don't, it don't work that way, does it? Um, he says here, I just love, you know, one of the things I love about Rick Renner, you know, he is a scholar. He is a Greek and Hebrew scholar. And I just love when he gives words and it's just like, I just love this. And he does, he does it in this book. And that's the reason I just don't want to skip over any of that part. Cause it's really good. He was talking about, um, you know, that being faith toward God, that how absolute, uh, how absolutely it's a foundational doctrine of the church. He said the phrase for that in the Greek is pastios, P-I-S-T-E-O-S, epitheon, E-P-I-T-H-E-O-N. He said it includes the Greek words pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and epitheon, the word pistis in the Greek word for faith, and actually describes faith that is being projected. That is... A, not a static faith that just sits still or is reliant on itself. To which is good. That's what we talked about just a few minutes ago that we, what people do when they get into works is they're relying on their self to get their way into heaven. 
It says that is a faith that is projected somewhere else and it is at a point of arrival. The one to whom faith is projected causes it to move forward. He said the other Greek word in the phrase, epitheon, is a compound word. It includes the word epi, which means upon, and the word theos, which is the Greek word for God. He says, so when all these meanings are combined to form the Greek word phrase uh, together, it actually means a faith that is projecting forward and is fully and wholly focused on God and not on anything else. So God gives us, is giving words here and the, and the, uh, the literal uh, meaning of them really wipes out any other opportunity we would have if you look at it to add anything other to it than Jesus. There's nothing. There's no way for us to misunderstand that. There's no other way to him except through Jesus Christ. There's no way to heaven through, except by him. Is He says that, that this is a faith that does not in any form rely on what the Bible, Bible calls dead works. Or we saw, and he talked about in one chapter, he said it works that are, that are dead or works that do not lead to life. He said, we're talking about works that do not lead to eternal life. Let's go to Numbers chapter 9 and verse 10. Everybody okay? It says, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any one of you in your posterity is unclean because of the dead body or is far away of the journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. He said in that, he said, God, he says, we see, let me go back. He said that, he said, anything a person trusts in besides Christ is dead. Anything that we trust in outside of Jesus Christ is dead. He said it's important to understand that this issue is dead works is very serious matter. And then the verse we just read in 9:10, where God forbade his people to touch anything dead, he said, keep in mind that that the issue, what the issue is of dead works. Dead works are something we're not even supposed to touch. We're not supposed to go near or have contact with dead works lest we become contaminated by them. Look at Colossians 2:21. Colossians 2.21. I need to sing through my Bible songs. You know the one you used to do and you used to sing through all the books of the Bible. He said, do not touch, do not taste, and do not handle. He said, speaking of dead work and traditions, he said, when Paul wrote that in essence, he said, and handle not, he said, have no trust whatsoever in your good life or in your good deeds. He said, this is what he's basically saying. I love when he takes this portion, this portion, he takes all those words and then he forms them together. It just really helps me out a whole lot because, you know, sometimes I need help in some of the understanding and it's just really good. He said, don't even go near trusting in these things. The Holy Spirit is telling us in that one verse in Colossians, it says, don't touch dead works. 
don't trust in them, don't turn to them, you should have no confidence in any work of the flesh. So basically, it keeps going back, and I know I keep saying it, but we just can't have any trust that works is what gets us salvation. I believe all of us in this room really know that. I believe that uh, we have to have faith uh, that is going forward, projecting forward. It says we have to release our faith, but not based on our action of works. You know, it's like, I kind of likened it. I had a kind of a, a thought when I read that, and he, when he said the part, the part that says we have to release our faith, but not based on our actions or our works. It's no different than what uh, Pastor was talking about this morning. And he was like, when he was talking about, you can't, you can't have faith and go to the doctor and be moved and you have faith because of what the doctor says. Is that what, how you were saying it? Sort of. But that, that you can't, that's not how it works. Do, do you understand? I mean, I do believe that miracles and signs and wonders are for people to see and to help people. You know, but at the same time, we should be able to believe what the Word says and just have faith from what the Word says to get what we need from God. And I do believe that he does do things and he, he makes uh, manifest his goodness on people. And it's a sign and a wonder to people. And I believe that there's people that are affected by that and changed by that. But at the same time, you know, just like what he said, it says we have to release our faith not based on our actions or our works. We just have to release, the faith, uh, release our faith because that's what the word says. That's what our faith should be based on anyway. It's not, excuse me, you know, I see this sometimes with people that we've ministered to, and I see it on Facebook, y'all probably do too all the time, and you see people, they'll ask you for prayer requests, and I love it when they get their prayers answered. I love it when, you know, things happen and really good for people, but you see the other side of it too when things don't go right, and they're all moved by what they're seeing on Facebook. Because somebody, whether or not they got their prayer answered or not, it determines whether or not they believe or not. And then they've got every explanation in the word of why it didn't happen. It wasn't the will of God. Well, God needed an angel in heaven. Those type things. But all of that kind of stuff, when you see that, what those people are doing and don't realize it, they're basing it on works. They're basing it on actions of their own self, someone else, or works. Which tells me in some reality it wasn't based on this at all sometimes. Not being critical. You know, I can remember, I remember when, um, I don't remember who it was, it was years ago when I first came over into the Word of Faith Church. You know, people didn't want to hear you tell them they didn't have faith. Because they didn't get something. They didn't want, they, you couldn't, almost like you couldn't say that. And that's not being critical, it's just faith is built up on the Word. That's how we get faith. Faith it comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. And I know we teach it where faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word, but I saw it one time. My faith comes by hearing, but my ability to be able to hear comes by the Word. That's the way I read that, is that I'm able to hear because I hear the Word. I have spiritual ears to hear because I hear the message of faith. And, but people don't want to do that. And even then, we can't take credit I say this. You can't take credit for what God does. Yeah, we believe it and we exercised our faith and we spoke it or we prayed it, but it's still the end work of Jesus Christ. Yes. 
It's not based. I mean, yes, it takes us to believe what he says. It takes us to receive that what he's giving us. I hope I'm saying that right so I'm not confusing anybody. But it all goes back to him anyway. I mean... You, everybody has to feel led to go and, and, and get things like when I went through uh, the walk with thyroid cancer, I had to get, do what God told me to do about it. I did go to the doctor. I did use wisdom. I did have surgery. Ended up eventually having radiation. I, had, I did what God told me to do about it, but I also did what he told me to do on the spiritual side so that my faith was activated and worked. Why? Because I wasn't putting faith in the doctors that I saw. I had to put my faith somewhere else. And that's the only way that I got the end result that I got. It was not based, even though the doctors do great, and doctors are necessary, and we're grateful for them. It's still ultimately God gets the glory for it because I walked in wisdom of what to even do about it. But it came from fellowship with him and came from reading his word and then feeling prompted to obey when he would tell me what to do about it. Okay, I know that's a little side journey, but anyway. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews 6, 9. Go back to Hebrews. I don't know why my pages are all sticking together, y'all. 6, 9. See, Hebrews 6, 9 talks about things that accompany salvation in good works, or th and in good works are those things that accompany salvation. Let's look at 6, 9. It says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that are accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 10. There's several scriptures today. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He said that we do not do good works in order to get saved. We all know that. But good works is a result after we get born again. It's something that we should be doing. He said it's a natural byproduct of salvation to want to do good for others and go to church, serve others, give tithes, give offerings. It said, but good works do not merit you any rights to salvation. We all know that. I know the ones in this room that are here present know that. And, but it's just always good to be reminded that within ourselves we can do nothing. We can't obtain anything within ourselves from God. It is all through him, by him. That we do. Let's um, let's just forward on and let's go to let's go on to the part where it talks about learning to rest in Christ alone. He said, "So, what does it look like when a person makes the decision to trust in Christ and only in Christ?" And I thought this was really good. He gives an illustration. Uh, about sitting in a chair. And he said that when he's sitting and he said, you know, he never wonders whether or not the chair will hold him up. You know, that's a really good illustration. 
He said, I am fully and completely resting on the chair and testing and trusting in the chair to hold me up. He said, really, that's what it means to put our trust in Christ and Christ alone. We are depending on him to hold us up. He said, we say that it's not my works, it's not my activity. I can never do enough to be accepted. He said, so rather than trust in myself and my own efforts, I'm going to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I'm going to put all my faith on him. I'm going to rest with total and complete dependence on Jesus. That is the faith that is required for salvation. You know, when he talked about how, uh, in this book, he talked about how he... Um, how when he first got born again, you know, he kept going back and trying to get reborn again. Every time he turned around, he couldn't tell, you know, he, he would think he had to get born again over and over and over again. And Miss Denise, when they got together, kind of had the same thing. And I told Pastor not too long ago of a, a dream I had. I remember when I first got born again, uh, and, or, and I, or I came back, I got born again at nine, but when I came back to God and I was like 23 and a half, uh, and I, then I came among, you know, the Word of Faith people and my spiritual parents. I was in their church. And I'd really been struggling with uh, just knowing God was on the inside. Because I was hearing these messages. I got teaching I'd never heard before. I was hearing who I was in Christ Jesus. I was hearing about my authority. I was hearing how alive in me he was. You know, we used to sing that song, I've got the life of God in me. And something on the inside is working on this. Heard all those songs. And... and uh, but I was really having a time with being confident of knowing he lived in there. Like for real. I just could, I mean, even though I understood I was born again, to know it was that personal was like a deal for me. And I just kind of struggled about it, you know, being conscious if he goes everywhere you go. Even though I'd been raised in church, you know, it's just, there was part of that that I don't know why I struggled with it so uh, you know, but I was just really having a time with being God inside minded and knowing that that was okay to think that way because some of the things I was being taught was totally opposite of the way I was raised. And I'll never forget it. I was at my spiritual parents' church at, or at their house because I helped keep their kids when they were little and I just became their other child and I was always at their house. And I would sleep upstairs in uh, Brooke Lana's room. And uh, Brooke had a, uh, a day bed with a trundle and, you know, would pull it out and it'd pop up. And so I'd sleep on one, she'd sleep on the other. And I had really been talking to God about this. Just like what he's talking about at the chair, having trust in the chair that it would hold him up. You know, I was having issues of realizing how real God was and that he was in me. And if it was for real or not, and was I, you know, I guess in some point it makes me wonder if I was just questioning if I was really born again or really, if I'd really committed to God, you know, if I was really different, you know. And because uh, I came out of a mess, you know, before I, uh, before I redecated, I was into stuff I didn't need to be in. And so uh, I had this dream. And at the time that I started at the church, at, the, at my uh, spiritual parents' church, um, there was two couples that came at the same time. One of them was uh, Keith and Gloria Elliott, and the other was Daryl Nanette Little. And they both came from the same church. They were uh, two African-American uh, couples, and Keith and Gloria became like some of my best friends. We went to Rhema together. I believe God with them when they had their first baby. Their baby came like my baby. I just kind of took over him, and I'd go to their house all the time when he first came. I was always around them and holding him, and then they had a second when we went to Rhema. But we've been friends now for 30 years. 
and just precious people. But Daryl and Annette, Daryl is about 6'6", six, six, big old boy. And he played basketball, you know, he's always having something. He just always was picking his stuff. But him and Annette were just awesome. But they all came into the message of faith at the same time. And which, by the way, Daryl and Annette now pastor their own church. But he was our uh, youth pastor. He did help do some youth pastoring it for my spiritual parents for a while. But anyway, I remember having this dream. And I remember as I was driving, and as I drove into a cul-de-sac, and I remember there were new builds, these like condo-looking things. And it went in like this right here, you know. And I remember Daryl Nett was going to come to my house in my dream. And I was wanting them to see my house because we all came to the church at the same time. And we were going to go see my house. And so I remember driving in and I drove up into the, the drive and they kind of pulled in. They were like, we're going to come see your house, Kimberly, you know. And I'm like, come on in. And I remember, now God was trying to show me something. Kind of goes with this right here. He was proving to me that he was really on the inside of me. And that he was for real. And that he consumed me is what he was showing me. Because that was my, one of my other questions, you know. Because I didn't want to be like I was like before. You know? And so when we pulled up to the house and we get out and we go in, when I opened the door, in my foyer was little strings and there were baby Jesus, these little miniature Jesuses all over them. They were, I can't tell you how many there were, hanging from the ceilings, all hanging down from the ceiling. And I kind of stepped back like this at first and I was like, what in the world? I was like, oh, you know, and I just kind of move them out of the way. I said, y'all come on in, let me show you my house. And when I come around and I turn, there was a hallway that went down this way and the rest of my house went this way, like into the kitchen. And as soon as I passed that hallway, Jesus stepped out in my dream and he called me by name. And in my sleep, I went, oh, it caught me. So I mean, it, I gasped because he caught me off guard. But what the Lord showed me, he was that real. Basically telling me, you're consumed with me. I live all up inside. I'm all in there. Because see, I was questioning whether or not it was, could be that way. Because I'd never been taught that somebody could have a relationship with Jesus and it'd be that way. And nothing against any of the people that taught me what they knew before. I didn't know, seriously. I don't remember. I remember people being loving and loving God, but I don't remember any person but one that I can remember ever being around that had lived a consuming life that was just oozing Jesus everywhere. That had an understanding and a revelation that Jesus was all up in there. Not one. Now, my great-grandfather was a Baptist minister. I really believe he was filled with the Holy Ghost and never told anybody because he knew something about love that none of the rest of the people I was around ever knew. There were things he had understanding revelation of. I just really believe that that was why. And I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him because I do believe that that is why. But God was showing me something just like what Rick Renner was talking about in this book. What God showed me was that it was nothing of me. I, there was none of me nowhere except the frame of the house. Everything else was consumed with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That he would go through the links. I remember that to this day. I was so excited the next morning, I could not wait to get downstairs to tell my spiritual parents. I was like, y'all, just, I just got to tell you what God just did. But anyway, but that does go along with what we were just talking about. That 
you don't have to do it over and over and over and over again. If you, you know, if you're living in sin and you walk away from God, yeah, you need to come back to Him and you need to repent and you need to get rededicated and back in fellowship with God. Okay. Uh, but one of the things that he had to find, this is what he, the revelation he finally came to, is that God saved him because of the blood of Jesus. Didn't save him because of his, his sincerity of incessantly asking. Because he would just worry himself to no end, was he born again, was he born again, was he, was he born again, was he born again. He said he had to finally come to the place where I gave up the struggle and became, began to really rest in Christ and on Christ and Christ alone. See, once that happened to me, I never questioned it again. I never, I never struggled with the fact that God could live inside me to that capacity. Now, why he gave me a dream like that, I don't know. He, in all honesty, in the early days, he talked to me in dreams quite a bit. Maybe because I just talked all the time and he couldn't get me quiet any other time. I don't know. Just saying. No comments from the left, please. He said, that day, he said, I gave up dead works of trying to save myself or be good enough to be saved. See, that day once I had that dream and I quit asking and quit trying to figure out if I was okay, was I all right with God, was I too much this, was I too much that, God answered it in a split second for me to let me know he had decided to take inhabitant, inhabit me. That's what he was telling me. I wasn't perfect yet at all, but he totally took up residence in me. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. Okay, so now let's look at the laying of uh, spiritual or scriptural foundation. Let's lay the scriptural foundation for it. It said, uh, he said, he said, we find that in the Old and New Testament, it's impossible for us to save ourselves. We know this. We're just going to go over these reasons real quick and then we'll call it a day. He said, the first one is, is you were born a sinner. Everybody's born in sin. Nobody's no, born, born again. He said, Romans 5.12 says that sin entered the bloodstream of the human race. It says, wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin is not what you do, it's what you are. You sin because you're a sinner. When people are born again, they don't know any different. Let's look at the second one. Psalms 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray as soon as they, are, they may be born, speaking lies. He said they immediately do that and begin sinning the moment they're born. Now, some people wouldn't want to do that, but I don't know about y'all. I, I have grands. Nobody had to teach them to say no. Nobody had to teach them to say mine. Nobody had to teach them to pitch their little tantrums when they didn't get their way. Why? Because they were born into this world the way they're born. Every person is like that. And every person must go through the same thing. You know, God ain't no respecter. It's the same process for every single believer. Every single one. Same process. The third one. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. He said, That includes every person and no one's excluded. So for all have sinned and come short of the glory. We all know that as a sinner, we can't change ourselves. There's nothing that we can do within ourselves to make. We can't live good enough on our own. We can't live holy lives on our own. Don't work that way. Exodus 34, 7. 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will, be, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, upon the third and to the fourth generation. He said this, that every human being is guilty and God will not clear the guilty. He says this is a serious problem for the human race. Sinners cannot enter the presence of God and no one in sin goes to heaven and every single person is a sinner. So you all start out that way and it's not an automatic thing. If, if it was just going to be that way, then why even continue on with the world? Why not just say, okay, we just won't, we just won't let anybody live long on the earth and everybody will just make it automatic and you just go to heaven once you're born. Then what would have been the purpose to rectify what Adam and Eve did if, we, if, it, if it happened that way, which it does not. It said, Jesus did, uh, died to pay for the removal of your sin, Romans 5, 8. But God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The sixth one says, through the blood of Christ, we've received forgiveness. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus' blood was the price that was paid. And in all reality, you know, a uh, pastor ministered this morning when we took communion. That's the only thing that could be paid. That was the only thing, you know, because y'all know the Old Testament. They, they did animal sacrifices all the time. But then God made a way through the one shedding of blood of Jesus Christ to fix it all forever and ever. That's amazing. He is, he is amazing. Number seven said he sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence within us and give us a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In the new birth, the old man is put away. I don't know how he recreates a human spirit. I can't even begin to fathom how that process works. But it is the most wonderful thing when you see somebody, I know somebody I'm thinking of right now that was having all kinds of trouble with some things that we knew about, prayed for them, and it's like the things that's happened for them since they got prayer. I mean, it's like you can see that the blinders have been removed off their eyes just from them rededicating and going back. How does God do that? It's absolutely amazing. Hebrews 6.1 states that the only those who trust in Christ are alone are saved and will go to heaven. 6.1, y'all know the scripture says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. It's faith that rests on Christ alone and not on anything else. Let's see. Let's, let's do this part. He said, you know, he, you hear a lot of statements frequently, and he said in some from people who attend church regular. We're all church attenders. He said they believed, he says when they asked, he said they believed they tried to do good. said God would overlook what they did wrong, and it's the same religious mindset that the ancient Egyptians possessed, only in a different form. Says God will weigh the scales. People who believe this way think that God will calculate whether they did more good or bad in life, then based on how the scale weighs. 
He will decide whether or not they will go to heaven. You know, people get that scripture about predestination all mixed up and think that, you know, that how funny it is that they can have the mentality, one, that they are in the predestination line and they're getting in their neighbors not or that they're not, that they assume that they're not because they don't understand the scripture. That's not what he's talking about. He did predestine everybody to have a good life through Jesus. I'm messing up the thing with my glasses. Sorry, y'all. Making that noise. He said, but a person who thinks that it is like this and, and like that person we were just talking about, that, you know, God tips the scale and figures out how he's going to weigh. He said, the truth is that there are many people who have attended church most of their lives and have believed similarly and will have a big surprise when they die. I used to hear Brother Norville. He said, little mouses even go to church. So just being in the church building doesn't make it okay. Just being present in body does not make you born again. Receiving Jesus is the only way that you can rest assured and have a guarantee that you'll be in glory one day. A couple more things and then we'll call it today. He said in Ephesians 1.13... He said, it shows us what a miracle of salvation is and how little it had to do with any kind of human effort or work. Look at Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that holy scripture of promise. There is no mention in that verse whatsoever that works will get you born again. He said, this is what it's basically saying. It's one of those others that he took all of it and kind of combined it, which I love. He said, you heard the gospel and a divine moment came when instantly you repented and believed. And the release of your faith, that's all, just a release of your faith ignited that moment when the Holy Spirit came in and sealed you. That supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is the moment of salvation when is in the moment of salvation is absolutely instantaneous and miraculous. In Ephesians 2.10, we read that earlier. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath both ordained that we should walk in them. The Greek word for uh, workmanship is also the word masterpiece, a masterpiece. This tells us that when God released his power into us at salvation, we were so completely transformed that we became his masterpiece. I can use that and remind Pastor that that's what I am. Isn't that awesome? Joking. Um, it says so. He said this, this verse also teaches that if we're saved, we'll do good works. But as we've talked about it and talked about it today, doing good works doesn't give us our salvation. Those good works become the proof that we're saved. So what does it mean by good works? And I love this. I, I like this fact because people, it's funny because they pick and choose what they think they should be doing. What it, what's, what's good works? Being a good parent, which you have scripture of how to do. Being a good spouse, which we have scripture of how to do. Serving others, which we have scripture to do. 
using our talents to provide a needed service for furthering the kingdom, which there are scriptures in there of serving different types of people, you know, widows and, and orphans. There's things in there. It says, releasing the gifts of the Spirit through your life. Witnessing to others. Faithfully bringing your tithes into the storehouse, into the local church that God has placed you in. Sowing financial seed as offerings toward the work of God's kingdom as the Holy Spirit leads. And then finding a place to serve and be a blessing in your local church. Those are what's good works and fruits of salvation. It's not the other way around. It says they are, they are not a way to obtain it. If you do any of those things in the hope that you will help you get to heaven, that is when they become dead works. And that's something. Doing it on the front end, thinking that it will get you your place in heaven makes it become dead. But then how he holds them at a different level of, of honor to him when you do it after you become born again is what he'll, you'll go to the judgment seat of Christ for. Why? Because it's done, out, it's done outside of you on that side. You are doing it. But you did it after you become born again and received Jesus. That's really cool. People just need to get where they want to put their works and they need to have it in the proper place. That's all. One last thing. He talked about Martin Luther. And he says that, there was, uh, that he was very, you know, and revolutionary in his time. He said, a priest, he saw the great injustice of this religious system and recognized the spiritual slavery it imposed on people. Not to mention the dire in, internal or eternal uh, ra uh, ramifications. He said that Luther became disgusted with all, by it all, and began studying the Bible with new eyes. He came to understand those six keys in the Bible, the just shall live by faith, out of Romans 1.17. The revelation hit Luther's heart, and we are not saved by works. We are saved through faith and faith alone. That was a totally revolutionary idea during his time. This is the five principles that he wrote down to reflect the true basis of salvation for every person, which I thought all of these were good. It says, only the word, only faith, only grace, only Christ, and only God to glory. Isn't that good? That that's exactly what he, he came away with, that that is how it has to be done. That it will never be by anything that we do or, or don't do on the front end. People just don't realize that receiving Jesus is the easiest thing they'll ever do. Having faith to receive Jesus is one of the easiest things they can ever do. But now that I know all of us in this room are born again, I just believe that you'll find out what it is that you're supposed to be doing when it comes to the works you're supposed to do here. God makes it so simple. We make it complicated. Amen. You got anything? Okie doke.